You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. The title of the last sermon for this weekend, The One Thing. The One Thing. So in session one, we looked at the one thing that is necessary as a sort of an introduction and sort of saw the invitation that we, we received from Christ in the story of Martha and Mary to, to, to prioritize that one thing, his presence, to be present in his presence. And of course, we saw the, how Martha uh, totally missed that point when, when she was serving Christ in that passage in Luke. And uh, yes, or in the evening, we looked at the many things that often cause us to be anxious, the many things that often cause us to, to lose focus from our Savior, um, whether it's the worries of this world, whether it's sort of the needs that we have, the material things that we need in this life. And we looked in, in Matthew, uh, Christ's remedy to those anxieties, uh, who, who wrote down notes last night. What was the three remedies? Come on, let me hear it, everybody. That's right. Mm-hmm. And? That's right. We saw how these three things Jesus himself told the people to, to do in order uh, so that whenever they felt anxious about the worries of this world, they would recall their identity, they would rely on God's sovereignty to provide and, and of course rearrange their priorities so that the kingdom is first in their lives, so that their cravings and their desires are not for this world, but rather the kingdom of God. That's how we deal with anxieties, that's how we deal with the many things. So now the question is, how do we then focus on the one thing? Having dealt with the many things last night, and a whole altar situation and everything, that was great. Having dealt with the many things, how do we now address the one thing? How do we keep focus on the one thing? Especially now, what, you know, in a couple of hours, we're all going to be back on the road, back to the city, back to our normal lives. How do we focus on the one thing beyond this retreat? When we have to go back home, back to the bills, back to the school, back to the mortgage, back to all the, the assignments and responsibilities that we have in our day-to-day life. How do we remain present in the presence of God? How do we continue to linger in God's presence? Well, what I like about our our passage is that it demonstrates the kind of heart, the kind of perspective, the worldview that one is to have if you want to continue to focus on that one thing. If you want to continue to be in God's presence regardless of where you are in this life, in this world. The kind of heart that we are to have. And our hope for us in this last session is to, is to learn, is to see from David's example uh, the kind of heart we are to have in order to pursue that, the, the presence of God in our day-to-day. In order to continue that, in, that, that, that desire for intimacy with the Lord and, and, and not lose focus when troubles arise. When, when the day-to-day activities come up once again. In order to keep that one thing necessary. And, and what we'll see is, is that, you know, anxieties will return. Fears will come back. 
right? The temptation to sin will be there once more, but how do we, how do we keep it so that when those things arise, we will not waver, we will not compromise, we will keep our eyes on God and remain in His presence, abide in His presence. So we're going to look at that this morning and, and really talk about how our hearts should be conditioned and how our hearts ought to look like because really it doesn't come naturally to desire and to, be want, to, to want to be in, in God's presence, to remain in God's presence. It doesn't come naturally. And oftentimes we need to condition our hearts. I think most of the times our flesh even resists wanting to enter into the presence of a holy God. But being believers and desiring to be in the presence of God, how does our heart become conditioned? What should we do for our heart so that we can focus in on the presence of God? And again, I love this psalm because David is very honest in pouring out how his heart is, and he's very honest in both the highs and the lows, and you see really the battle in his heart to remain faithful, remain in the Lord's presence, and you can really see why he's called a man after God's own heart in our passage. So similarly to David, our hearts should be conditioned as well. And let's just get straight into the points this morning. Our hearts, it needs to depend on the power of God. We must depend on the power of God. Look how David starts our, our, his psalm here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is David's thesis point. This is his, his, his purpose, his foundation, his, his groundwork for the rest of this psalm. He does not budge from these two statements. The Lord is my salvation and he is my stronghold, his security. He's already setting the groundwork for his heart. This is the foundation of what he's going to say for the rest of this, the psalm. Everything else hinges on these two truths. Everything that he says following up, it, it clings to these two truths. God is my salvation and he is my stronghold. He does not waver from it. He does not redirect from it. He doesn't compromise from it. Even when he, there's a point in this psalm where he wavers a little, but he comes back to these two truths at the end. Then we hear sort of the context of David's situation, what he is anxious about, what, what, he's, what he gets worried about in his context, in his life. So look at verse 2. He says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp are against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. See, David had real enemies. Real people who were after his life. His life that threatened his life. His very, his very existence even. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I've never had that in my life. Last night, we were writing down a list of all our anxieties and worries. Who put down, you know, a threat on their life? Any enemies? Maybe a mob hit or something? You can tell us. That's pretty exciting. But, but here is David. He's having to fear for his very life. If you know the story of David, he spent most of his life running from King Saul, who wanted to kill him. And then even beyond that, he had all these enemies from varying nations because he was the king of Israel. Even his own son eventually betrays him. He had many enemies. This is what, what 
made David anxious, what worried him. But yet we see the confidence and, and the security that he has. Again, sticking to that first verse that God is his salvation and his stronghold. Even notice that, that what he's talking about in verse 2 and, two and 3, there's an escalation there. There's evildoers that assail him. Then it goes into armies that encamp around him and then entire nations going to war against him. It gets increasingly intense as, as, David, as David describes his situation, yet his confidence does not waver. Why? He gives the answer in verse 4. One thing I have I asked of the Lord. Now you'd think at this point, at this juncture, you'd think, you'd think what he's going to ask from God is, because he's surrounded by these enemies, he's going to ask God to get rid of his enemies. Send down your, your, your heavenly host to defeat my enemies, right? You'd think that it's, it's to remove the, the, the thing, the, the source of his anxieties, remove my enemies from me. You'd think that's what he's going to ask, but it's not. He says, again, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up on a rock, upon a rock. David's ask wasn't to be free of the enemies around him, but simply the presence of God. Because it's in the presence of God where his power is displayed. Where God is, his power is also. Note, by the way, what the display of power that, that David is asking for here. Again, it's not to vanquish his enemies. It's not to be rid of his troubles or the trials, the hardships that surround him. No, it's simply God's power to hide him, to conceal him, to give him shelter, to lift him up, to give him security. Again, the imagery here is that there's, there's battles going on, there's wars going on, there's strife raging around David, but yet David is completely dependent on God's power to provide simple security. See, oftentimes our notion of God's help, what we often want God to display through His power in our lives, is for the problems to disappear. Trials to be conquered. Lord, I want victory over these things that I worry about. I don't want to see them anymore. That's our, oftentimes our imagery of how we want God to display His power. God, I got bills to put, God, I got bills to pay. God, display your power. Take away the bills, right? God, there's sickness in my life. You know, take away the sickness. Interesting how we don't consider God's power to help us in his ability to help us endure. And his display of power to help us persevere. And I get it because. If God's power, his demonstration of power in our lives is to help us endure or to help us persevere, it means that the thing that we are anxious about, the pain, the trial, doesn't go away. The suffering stays. The problem stays. The trials still encamp around us. Yet that's the life of the believer. It's not of escape, but of endurance. 
The life of the believer is not of escape, but of endurance. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the writer of Hebrews says this, why did Christ endure the cross? He says this, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you, the believer, may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Christ endured the cross so that we would endure life. So that we would endure the sufferings and the trials that we would experience as believers, as followers of His. It doesn't say so that you could escape it, so that you could avoid it, so that you can maneuver around it. God's power in our lives is demonstrated in our endurance, in our perseverance. Because in our own strength, we would not be able to endure. Let's, let's get that straight. In our own strength, we would not be able to persevere. It's God who preserves us. It's God who keeps us. It's by the power of God that, that brings us from, from glory to glory. That brings us to the other side. It's God's power that preserves us in this life. So we see David longed to be in the, in the presence of God because that's where his security is. That's where, that's, that's where God's power is displayed despite his enemies still surrounding him. And same thing for us. If we are looking for peace in the midst of the troubles and the trials that we are going, to, going back to face, we have to understand that peace is not the absence of problems but the presence of God in our problems. It's his presence that, that gives us security. It's, our, it's his presence that, that assures us that everything is going to be okay, like a child that just needs to know that their parent is around at night. Like a child that just needs to see their parent to be okay. That's God's presence. That's, that ought to be God's presence in our own life. God's presence is assurance that despite our surroundings, despite wherever it is that we're going, going back to face, that we are still safe, that our Heavenly Father is not far away. For the believer, the safest place in this life, in this world, is in the presence of God. And to be sure, just to be clear, right, God's presence is not tied down to one location. It's not, it's not, it's not here at JBC, right, at Joy Bible Camp. It's not in a building. It's not in some temple. And David even alludes to that in our passage. When David, understand, when David wrote this song, the temple was not built yet. So what is he talking about that he desires to be in the house of the Lord forever? He's most likely referring to God's heavenly home. It's a metaphor for his presence. Where God is, that's where he wants to be. 
He does, he does allude to something more tangibly in verse 5, the tabernacle. He says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. That's the tabernacle that he's referring to, the, the great tent that the Israelites carried around through the wilderness where God's presence abided and when he was not leading them as a pillar of cloud or fire. And this tabernacle that David is referring to was mobile. It would go wherever God, God would go and wherever his people would go. And similarly, God's presence is mobile. It's not tied to any, it's not tied to any space. It's not stationary. We know from Scripture that believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit, vessels of his presence in this world. So realistically speaking, God's presence is with us wherever we go. But it's a matter of allowing, it's a matter of depending on God to empower us, to help us endure, to help us persevere through those trials that we encounter in this life. We must depend on the power of God. Secondly, we must desire for the presence of God. Our hearts, it must desire for the presence of God. Again, that passage, that sweet verse in, four, in verse 4, it says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You can really see the, the, the desire of David to be in the presence of God. And he says in verse 7, uh, verse 7 of that same passage, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Yours alone. This heart desire of David to simply be in God's presence for the rest of his days. That's the kind of heart that we ought to have. And again, it's not simply for security that's already been mentioned, but look what he says specifically, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, meaning meditate in his temple. Your face, Lord, do I seek. His deeper desire beyond security from his troubles is to simply gaze upon the beauty of God. It is a desire for intimacy, to know the Lord face to face as you know as a close friend or you know a loved one. When we seek God's presence, the main priority is to experience intimacy with God. I want to know you more, Lord. That's why I want to be in your presence. I want to know you more. I want to see your face. That's what that expression means. But also, as David says, to behold his to behold the glory of God, His majesty. God's glory is, is the radiance of His divine nature. So again, it, it's tied to intimacy. David wants to see the glory of God, the majesty, the beauty of God, because that reveals who God is, His divine nature. It's, it's him wanting to get to know His Creator more. Like Moses who cried in the wilderness, show me your glory our hearts should long after the glory of God as well for God to be revealed 
to us. His beauty, his majesty, we ought to long for it. You know, it's always interesting to me how we have these, these wonders of the world, right, that people often flock to. If, you're, if, you, if you just come into Canada, first place you're probably going to be taken to is Niagara Falls, right? Especially if you're Filipino, let's go see Niagara Falls. It's like, been there forever. But it's interesting, whether it's Niagara Falls or the pyramids of Giza or whatever else, whatever other wonders of this world, it's always interesting how we're drawn to these things. And whenever we see them, there's always this sense of awe and wonder and sense. And it's like, wow, how awesome and how great these things are. See, inside us is built in a desire to, to gaze upon what is beautiful. To see what is glorious. There's a longing inside every human being to to see what is awesome because we were created that way. Because that's what we were made to see. That's what we were made to long for, the beauty of our creator. In creation, when humanity was created, we were created in a way where we could walk in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. The Bible says that Adam walked in the cool of the garden with the Lord. But sin changed all of that. It's why the glory of God needed to be veiled. It's why when Moses asked to see the glory of God, he had to be, he had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock because of sin. Because after the fall, we could no longer walk in the presence of the Lord without being consumed by His holiness. Sin changed all of it. We could no longer stand in the presence of God. The only thing we had to do was fear it. That's why so many of the Old Testament prophets says, who can see see God and live? There was a fearful, there was was, was fear tied with the presence of God because of sin. But just as sin was a milestone in human history in regards to our access to the presence of God, Christ's death was a mountain that changed it all. Christ's death when he was nailed on the cross and he paid for our sins and the veil was torn in the temple, the thing that separated humanity with the holiness of God, with the presence of God, Christ changed it all. Christ gave us access. So that for those who are in Christ, we can now enter into the holy of holies and gaze upon the beauty and the glory of God. Understand the gravity of that, church. The very thing that the prophets feared, the very thing that Moses pleaded for, the very thing that the patriarchs patriarchs longed for and had faith to one day see, the very thing that David is pleading for in our passage, believers have access to. See the glory and the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of our Creator through Jesus Christ our Lord. To see it even in our lives. Yet how often do we take that for granted? How often do we take it for granted? And worse yet, we often replace His glory for lackluster, pale comparisons of this world, the things of creation that we allow our hearts to be captured by as well. 
Niagara Falls has nothing on God's beauty. But yet we still, if it's not Niagara Falls, it's these other things that we, we, we are drawn to, we allow to enrapture our hearts. Romans chapter 1 verse 23 says, We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You know, it's like my first car that I ever had uh, was a 1995 BMW 325 IS. If anyone knows what that is, I see Paul's face, his jaws dropped. That's, what, that's the proper response to having this car. Uh, no, but I, I love this car. I spent so much money on this car, repairing it and, and whatnot. Uh, but it was interesting. While I had this car, there was one day where I came into a parking lot and I parked it. I was going into the grocery store. But I, so I came out of the car and then it, it was like sunset. And I looked at this car and I saw how the sun was like beaming down on it. It was just like just perfect shadows and just like, like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, whoa, this is my car. But it's also at that moment I knew I committed adultery. Because my heart was enraptured by this material beauty that wasn't God. If we want to remain focused on God's presence, we must, we must desire, we must seek after His presence above all else, His beauty above all else, His glory above all else, His face, to, to be intimately aware of who God is. Again, that's what His presence is. That's what His presence invites us to. It's to see Him face to face. To see the God that was once veiled face to face. It denotes intimacy. And, and, and what's interesting about, about our passage is that it's not just a desire that, that David demonstrates, but it's a desperation from, uh, the desperation to see God's face, to see or be in his presence. Look at verse 9. He says, hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. There's a desperation there in David. A fearful thought that some sin in his life, a hidden sin that would keep him away from God's presence, hence the anger part. It's the only reason why God would cast him off or forsake him if there was sin in his life. There was, a, there was a fearful thought that there would be anything that would keep him from the presence of God. David was willing to address whatever sin, whatever obstacle he had to, he needed to, just to be able to enter into the presence of God. It's really what we should be wanting too for our, ourselves, to do the same to deal with sin, to deal with whatever obstacles, whatever doubt, whatever fears in our lives, in all its form. Anything that would keep us barred, anything that would keep us cast off from God, from His presence. Just so that we can enter in. Just so that we could see His beauty. Now the reality is for believers is, is that when we sin, when we fail God, we don't, our, our relationship with God is not severed. But our fellowship is strained. 
If you've ever argued with a spouse or if you've ever argued with a parent, you know that the relationship is still there, but that fellowship, that, that avenue of freely coming to that, that relative, that, that loved one, that into their presence without something hanging over, without some dispute, without some argument, hanging over that relationship, it's, it's, it's strained. It needs to be repaired. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. If there's a sin in our, in our lives, if there's something in our lives, the relationship is maintained, but the fellowship is strained. And listen, it's never God who is unwilling to repair the relationship. It's us. It's our, the hardness of our hearts. It's wanting to bask. It's wanting to linger further in the sin that we have enjoyed. It's... It's wanting to delight more in the things of this world. It's never God who says, no, I'm upset at you. It's never God who says, no, my heart is hardened towards you. It's us. God is always inviting us into his presence. God, as a loving heavenly father, is always inclining his ear towards us. Like like the the father who had the prodigal son, he's always waiting, lingering outside just to see the son come home. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. This, by the way, this relatability of Christ as our our mediator, as our high priest who has gone through the same obstacles, who has gone through the same temptations as, as we have, this shows that he not only can relate to us, but that he can sympathize with us. And then verse 16, it says, Let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's the invitation for every believer. If you've struggled with sin, if you're, if you're going through seasons of trials where you're running away or you're, you're being distracted, the invitation, the door to God's throne of grace is always open where we can come and be reconciled to Him. It's why God's presence is so desirable or ought to be so desirable to us. Like the comfort of a parent when we're afraid, when we're stressed, or when we're anxious, or when we've messed up. Like the comfort of, of a parent that we can go to at any time and, and, and vent our concerns and, and ask for help and know that they are listening and know that they are present. That's what, that's what God's presence ought to be in our lives, is in our lives to the believer. It's only when we abide in his presence that we can as we abide in his presence, that's where true praise comes from. True worship comes from. If we want to focus on that one thing, the heart that is conditioned towards that one thing of being in God's presence, we need to declare the praises of God. Declare the praises of God. Look at verse 6 of our passage. It says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. 
And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Listen, it's only when we have entered into his presence, when we have dwelt there, when we have seen him face to face, when we've seen the glory and the beauty of the holy God, can, and we have experienced his power, can we truly declare his praises? The songs that we sing every weekend, the songs that we just sang, are meaningless to us unless we have truly witnessed the glory of God for ourselves. It's like me praising, praising the delights of some fast food joint that I've never tasted before. Oh yeah, White Castle Burgers is amazing. You should try their, their sliders. It's an amazing thing. You know, if you've ever, if you ever tasted it, you've, you've, you've never tasted a burger like that before. I've never tasted White Castle Burgers before. I have no right to declare the praises of it. I don't even know if it's good. The same thing with our praises, our worship. How can we give God these songs of praises when, when we have yet to really encounter and see his beauty? When throughout the week we have been, you know, doing our own thing, not delighting in his presence, we haven't sought his face, and we, we've seen the beauty of other things in this world. And then we come on the weekend and sing, oh yeah, sing his praises. God is good. It's only when we have entered into his presence, we have seen his face, sought after his beauty, can we, can we really proclaim his praises from a sincere heart. And notice, by the way, the, the, in, terms of David's, in terms of David's declarations of praise, verse 13 of our passage, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The word wait there in the original Hebrew denotes a sense of excitement or a sense of anticipation, an excitement to see God act, an excitement to enter into his presence, a declared expectation or, or, or uh, there's a, a declared anticipation, an expectation of, of being, or being or coming into the presence of God. What's interesting here is, you know, that, is that David by faith is praising the Lord the God of his salvation. He's declaring the praises despite not seeing the salvation having come yet. See, this is why worship is so necessary to focus our hearts. When we go back to the world, when, when we get surrounded by our trials once more, because worship reminds us who, of who God is. Worship reminds us of who God is and even our identity in light of God. Oftentimes, you know, when we think about our, our devotional time, we think about Bible reading, we think about prayer, but worship needs to be included in that. Worship is the manifestation of us being in God's presence. Again, it's the only natural response after being and spending time in God's presence 
and seeing His glory and seeing His beauty through the Word and hearing His voice through prayer. And the only right response is worship. That's what being in His presence results in. We were created for worship. It's one of our purposes in life. And in reality, every human being worships something. You know, I, I, I told this to my wife one time when we were watching The Voice, right? Uh, and listening to all these singers and whatnot. And there are amazing singers out in the world. So many. You know, personally, I think Adele has an amazing voice. My, my wife can testify. Sometimes at home, I'm just blasting Adele. I set fire. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not Adele. Have you ever realized that all these amazing singers, whoever they are in this world, all these artists, all these professional singers, they have that voice because they were created to worship God. Instead, they use their voice to worship others, to worship themselves, to garner fame, to get money. Everyone, every human being has been made to worship God. It's, it's built in us. It's why there's often a drive in us to, to give our praise to something in this life, something in this world. If it's not God, it's going to be the creation. We were built for worship. That's the natural response of those who, who have... Worship is the natural response of those who have lingered, those who have dwelt, those who have, who have focused their eyes on the presence of God. It's worship. So if we want to continue that focus, if we want to continue that heart that is this undivided, unanxious, we must depend on God's power. Depend on His power not to get rid of all the problems in our lives and our trials in our lives, but to help us endure. The power to help us endure. His power to preserve us through the trials of this life. We must desire the presence of God. And not just desire it, but delight in it, to long for it, to want to see more of God's beauty and His glory. And the natural response from depending on God's power, from desiring His presence, is that we declare the praises of God. And it's not just a matter of, of, of declaring His praises, but because when we declare His praises, we are reminded of who our God is. We, re, we, are, we are reminded of who it is that we are putting our trust in, who we are putting our hope in. We must give the praises to God. Now, how does this look like practically? How does this look like practically? Just very quickly before we, we close here. Well, how this looks like practically is, as I mentioned, is that we delight in the presence of God. That above all other things in this world, we, we, we want the presence of God in our lives. We want our time with God above anything else. We, we crave that time with God. We are zealous for it. We won't let anything stand in the way of us getting our time with the Lord, getting away with the Lord, finding solitude with Him, 
that we would put it above everything else. We delight in the presence of God. That also looks like the way we, you know, we, that we find satisfaction, that we find security, that we find peace in the presence of God. That there's an excitement to be in the presence of God. There's an anticipation. I can't wait to get to church. Therefore, I will be on church. I'll be at church on time. Just saying. There's an excitement there. I want to be where God is. I want to be where his people is because his people also is where his presence is. Is where God's presence resides. There's a delight even in the company of other believers, of our brothers and sisters. Because his presence is, 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 is manifesting from them as well. Note that as we delight in God's presence, it doesn't mean that we'll be free of worry or problems and trials. I've been saying this. But to, to de, delighting in God's presence, what that looks like is that when the problems come, when the anxieties come, we run to Him first. We go to Him first. We involve Him into the situation rather than trying to solve it ourselves. And ultimately, what happens when we delight in God's presence, when we see him more, when we behold his beauty, when we experience his glory, when we behold his power in our lives, what should ultimately happen is that we love God more. That we love him more. That's what God's presence ultimately does. It draws us into his love. We can't help but wonder, how can a holy, holy, holy God love me, invite me into his presence, me who is a sinner, me who has merited nothing, me who is so unworthy? How can he love me enough to invite me into his presence, to, to reveal his face to me, to show his beauty and glory to me? And the response to that is, is, is overwhelming grace and overwhelming sentiment of love towards our Creator. If we want to remain in the one thing, we must remain in the presence of God. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.